0: asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show... Show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. Joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Good morning. Morning. I don't hear quite as many distractions in the background anymore. Nice.
1: Uh, we still have, They're still the guinea, singing pigs guinea pigs. But, yeah. uh, but the skating has, has stopped. Nice.
0: Um, all right. We're talking about well, this is our thanks and giving show. We've done this, I think every year for the last, the oldest outline I could find was about four years ago. Um, and so we always do it a little bit different, but this year really wanted to focus on, um, well, the idea of giving, but helping people understand when they can afford to be giving. And and I just, um, I got a text from Auntie Sharon, Sharon McNamara, Boston Connect Real Estate. She's a, um, a, generally has WATD on in the mornings and listens to our show. Good morning, Sharon. Anyway, she just messaged, um, kind of tossing in a new spin to this. And um, she was talking about, um, you know, how she paid for her girls to go to college and helping with rental expenses while they were in college. And I don't know if maybe immediately after college, while you know, kids are getting on their feet and, you know, just sort of throwing that in as well as that gifting or is that just an expense in my life and um, so give me a few minutes to loop that in to the conversation Sharon but I think um, I do think college and the amount that people pay for college the financial burden that they take on for college I mean people can look at it either way some people look at it as a gift and some people look at it as just something that they're responsible for Um, but I think that that is some similar to this discussion where we're talking about affordability of beginning to gift your assets, expend down your assets because you'll probably won't spend them in your lifetime. So determining affordability of that and determining affordability of how much of the college burden you can take on as a parent. I think they're very similar conversations because it really all comes down to... Um, Affordability, but it's, it's a little bit different in terms of like, if you're retired and you start, uh, you take on this expense of gifting, right? And, and it's a discretionary expense. Um, if you take this on and you gift too much, there might not be uh, coming back from it, right? Like they're, they're, how do you recover from that? Right? Like if you give your kid $100,000 and then markets turn down and you live a long life, like how do you recover from that? Whereas with college, I feel like it's a little bit different in terms of at that stage in life, um, your ability to absorb that and um, your resiliency, I think it is, um, you have more resiliency at that stage in your life because when you're getting your kids through college, you're likely still working. So for people that take on arguably, I'm going to put in air quotes, too much of the college burden they can adjust their lives in terms of how long they work in order to recover from that. So they're more resilient in that regard and that, well, you don't have to retire at 62. You could work three more years because you took on a little bit more of the college burden than maybe you, I shouldn't use the word afford, but you took on more of the college burden than anticipated, for example, and let's, you know, work a little longer so that you're in a better financial situation. So... I think it's different in that regard. But,
1: but, yeah, or, yeah. And you can, right. or, and, or, you know, you can work more hours. Yeah. Uh, you could change job. Maybe, maybe if there's a spouse that's not working, could get a job. And, you know, so you have a little bit more flexibility mm-hmm. uh, in the college years. But once you're retired, I mean, yeah. Specifically, if you're older, you know, if you're in your, you know, late 70s or 80s, I mean, the, you know, the odds of somebody going to go get a job. Or something to, to make you know make up mm-hmm. um, lost, you know lost money is is pretty unlikely.
0: Right, right. But I but I appreciate that um, text, Sharon. Thank you. A good. I hadn't really thought of that as it related to this conversation. But maybe we'll find a way to loop that in a little bit later in the show too. Um, I wanted to talk about um, again just before the show. We were sort of setting the stage for let's talk about the different types of assets that people have and how the conversation or how, um, yeah, how how you're thinking in regards to gifting might change based on the types of assets that you have. So um, retirement accounts, non-retirement accounts. I guess I'll throw, I did throw cash in there, didn't I? As like sort of a separate one. Mm, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not sure if I want to keep it separate, but for now, cash in the bank. And real estate. So, those are generally speaking the type. Well, I guess uh, a business asset could be another one, like an, another illiquid asset. It would be like a business, right? Uh, what could you sell your business for, um, et cetera? So, those are generally speaking the types of assets that people have, right? Um, let's talk about someone who has, um, where do we want to start? I guess let's start with the easier, conver- the yeah, let's start with the easier conversation. Someone that has a large, if you're thinking about your assets um, and if it's a pie chart, right? And each slice of the pie, one slice of the pie is retirement assets. Another slice of the pie is non-retirement assets. Another slice of the pie is real estate. If you've got a business, you can throw in another slice of the pie there. How big of a slice of your pie is... Oh, <laughs> How timely that we're doing a Thanksgiving show. We're talking about pies. <laughs> um, how big of a slice of your pie is? not?
1: I, I didn't see any pumpkin pie this I year. I
0: know. Sorry. I, hey, excuse me. I did a lot of cooking and made a lot of different things. There was an avocado mousse chocolate pie. How come you didn't get right into that? It was so good, by the way. I made... So, okay. That we're gonna, sounds delicious. It was actually delicious. So I, my, uh, we went to my brother Justin's house and uh, for Thanksgiving and he has three kids, my nieces and nephews, my nieces and nephew. And they, one time, like five years ago, they were at my house and I made um, black bean brownies. Oh, okay. <laughs> which are also delicious. Mm. I'm always like, I love to play around with um, ways of making junk food healthy. Like, and basically, I'm just Googling like healthy brownies or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I I love to try out different recipes like that. And so, they were at my house one time and we made black bean brownies and I didn't tell the kids, my nieces and nephew, what they were or my kids. Very smart. Until, then they did like notice that it was different. They're kind of like asking questions like, well, why is this different? This tastes funny, you know? And eventually, ended up that I told them that it was black bean brownies. And My nieces and nephew, like, will not let me forget it. And they're (laughs) constantly saying to their mom, like, is Auntie Liz going to bring, like, some weird (laughs) dessert? (laughs) And so when we went for Thanksgiving, I was like, I am going to bring a weird dessert. So I brought... But you're still
1: going to like it. Yeah. Yeah, I found
0: a... Yeah, it was like an avocado. uh, It was avocado cocoa powder, like maple syrup Mm. or something. Anyway, the the chocolate mousse part um, was really... It wasn't overly sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really silky and smooth. Like avocado just gives that like really silky consistency. Yeah. And I put the avocado mousse in a chocolate chip cookie pie crust. Ooh, so all right. it was very, uh, the adult, like me and my sister-in-law were, and my, um, sister-in-law's sister <laughs> were like loving it. It was really good. But because like, you know, grownups didn't, you know, we don't want something that's like too, too sweet. Right. And so the cookie crust was sweet enough. And then like the avocado mousse was a little bit um, more bland. And so I loved it. Mm. But um, the kids would like, they, I would give them, because it looked really good and the kids all wanted a slice of chocolate Uh pie but they would bring their plate back and be like, they would just eat the cookie crust and be like, I didn't like this <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> and my, da- my oldest daughter, Myla, goes, Mom, I feel like you made this like so that grownups would like it, <laughs> but that we don't like it. She wasn't being stinky. She was just trying to explain why she didn't eat any of it.
1: Sorry, right. they'll grow into the good um, taste that are healthy. Yeah, yeah.
0: but I, I did buy the ingredients for the pumpkin pie, Kirk, but I forgot to buy the crust, so oh. I didn't.
1: Halfway there, for you. Uh, but you
0: know what? You could make a pumpkin pie.
1: I um, so I, I did have the chocolate pie. I actually had two pieces, so I did. I oh, did have it. Yeah, and it was very. I did. I did put ice cream and whipped cream on yeah. it as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it which did I did like the ice cream with it too. And what did you say? It was very good. Is that what you said? You kind of cut out a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was good. Anyway, what? Well, how did we even get on that? Oh, pie.
1: You're talking about yeah. pie
0: chart. So, pie chart. all right. Um, Okay, so so if one of your largest assets is, which isn't generally the case for people, but if you happen to have a large amount of non-retirement assets, like money in an individual account or a joint account, or a living trust type of account. So what we call non-qualified, we call those taxable assets. We call them non-retirement assets. If you happen to have a large, and and I would include bank cash in that, bank cash, CDs, money markets that are not inside of retirement accounts, um, all that stuff. If you happen to have, if a large portion of your portfolio is that type of asset, I think the conversation is easier, right? And in terms of logistically speaking, if you want to start gifting, um, uh, it's just easier to do so when you have this type of asset because um, taxes are not generally are not as big of a concern as uh, if you have retirement assets. And unlike real estate, you know, it's liquid, right? Whereas real estate is illiquid. Business assets are illiquid, right? So so it's just an easier um, conversation, right? People, these types of assets, when you're... Um, selling things to raise cash to take out of the portfolio to start gifting with, actually, and we could actually go one step further because you don't actually have to liquidate. You could transfer securities. But um, if you were liquidating to raise cash um, to start gifting with, then um, it, the taxes, you know, you're paying capital gains taxes on the growth. And so taxes aren't as substantial as taking money out of retirement accounts. So, so number one, I just think that that makes the conversation a little bit easier, but we have to throw in there the fact that if you have this type of non-qualified or non-retirement account, if you, I think it's easier to, to give an example here. Let's say you have a million dollars in a non-retirement account, just in your name. And let's say there's um, uh, some, you've had it for a long time and there's some large, what we call unrealized capital gains. And basically just meaning, if you were to sell some of the securities in that portfolio t- to gift cash to someone, then you're gonna pay some taxes to do so, right? You're gonna pay some capital gains taxes to do so. And let's just assume for a minute that your capital gains in there are substantial. And um, and meaning they're, uh, Some more significant taxes than if you didn't have substantial gains in there. So, number one, if there are, there can be sometimes tax consequences to take money out of this type of account to start gifting. If you died tomorrow, let's say you have one child, or what it doesn't matter how many kids, let's say you have two kids, right, and they're going to get your money 50 50. If you sell some money, pay some taxes, give them some cash. Now you paid some taxes to do so. But in this type of non-qualified account, if you died tomorrow, under current tax law, they would inherit that money. If they were 50-50 beneficiaries, for example, they would inherit that money and could immediately sell with no tax consequences because under current tax law, we have what's called a step up in basis. Basically uh, unrealized capital gains under current tax law for someone that has a non-retirement account are basically forgiven. Right? So, so what what the basis what the basis is for taxes is stepped up as of date of death. So kids could fairly immediately sell it with very little to no tax consequences, even though you have a large tax gain in your lifetime, right? So they could sell it after death. Some types of trust account. Uh, uh, ask your accountants, please, because some types of trust accounts, like irrevocable trust, for example, might not get that step up in basis, and that's a different conversation. But I ha- you have to throw in there that. Yes, when you're starting to gift, it's an easier conversation when you have this type of non-retirement money because you're not worried about income taxes to take the money out. But that type of account is the best account for your kids to inherit because the tax consequences are essentially eliminated under most, uh, under many situations, again, unless it's a certain type of trust. Um, so you got, you have to throw that in there. Like, and in, in, in if someone is you know, 96 and, and going to give somebody a hundred thousand dollars and pay some capital gains out of their portfolio to do so. Like, you know, I hate to say it, but like, could, is the conversation, well, is it better to just wait until after mom or dad passes and then there's no tax consequences to do so. And, and there's this old saying in our, I don't know if it's my dad's saying or, or an old saying, right? Like, don't let the tax tail wag dog, Right. It, and and so, you know, basically, you know, you shouldn't let taxes like control your financial life, but it is a part of the conversation. Um, so I just had to throw that out, out there in terms of it's more tax efficient for your kids to inherit non-qualified money after you die. If, yeah. especially if there are large, unrealized capital gains in the portfolio.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, I had, you know, kind of a, uh, thought and, and a question, maybe on that topic. So, you know, let's say, you know, uh, an older individual owns, you know, stock that they've had for a long time and it's, you know, so it's highly appreciated. Yeah. And I know that they can, you know, they can gift that stock to, say, like a charity. And yeah. if they did that, basically, um, you know, so they're basically giving the shares away to the charity. And so, because they're not liquidating, you know, they're not, you know, they don't have to realize any of those gains. Um, yeah. And they're able to, basically they're able to deduct, you know, the the current value of the stock, you know, whatever that is, uh, as a, you know, as a charitable uh, gift. Uh, and then the, you know, the, um, you know, the charity can and then sell it or, you know, do whatever they want with it. Um, what I, you know, what I don't know, and I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to this, but. Could you could you do that same thing with like a child where you could gift stock to a child like if it's highly appreciated? Yeah, and and then so basically then if the child were to sell it, they would would they inherit this, the basis? And yeah. Then, yeah.
0: So when you gift securities, um, the it's there's what's called a carryover basis. So so in that example where you have a highly appreciated stock, if you gift shares of that stock. Um, to a child, for example, your, they inherit your your basis carries over. So you don't have a, a gain on the gift. There's no tax consequences to you on the gift because you didn't realize the gain, but the your son or daughter inherits the basis and the embedded capital gain. And so he or she could sell it. And if they're in a lower, you know, capital. If they're in a lower tax bracket, that might work out. If, yeah. but but generally speaking, adult sons and daughters are in higher tax brackets than older retired moms and dads. So that probably unless, doesn't make sense but, from a tax perspective. But check with your unless, CPA on that one. I'm pretty sure that's yeah, how that unless works.
1: It, unless it's in a uh, unless it's in a COVID year and your son or daughter lost their job. And true
0: story. True story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. If it's a year where they're in a lower tax bracket. Yeah.
1: And but then, still, but, yeah, but that the, would still I mean that w- and that would still fall under the you know you could only give up to fifteen thousand dollars a year without having to you know jump through any hoops as far as right you
0: know, like, yeah I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that's true and it must be I'm guessing it's just the current I'm not 100 percent sure but I'm guessing it's just the current value. Current, the yeah, market current, current, value at the yes. time yeah yeah, yeah.
1: the market value of those shares yeah
0: yeah but then it's this, it's the same conversation like is it better to gift un, in that situation is it better to gift that or is it better to die and they inherit it when under at least under current tax law those cap the cap, the capital gains are forgiven as of date of death
1: well i mean it also comes you know it comes down to if 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 they're trying to give the money sooner than later and or if the child needs it sooner than later, that's just, it's just, you know, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Having said all this, they're about, about non-qualified assets and the step up in basis, uh, as of date of death, when someone dies, it, it has been proposed, I think several times in the not too distant past to eliminate that part of the tax code that allows for the step up in basis. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if that eventually gets eliminated. That is an amazing uh, tax, uh, that's an amazing benefit. That's an amazing family planning um, tool to be able to pass what can sometimes be substantial substantial amounts of non-retirement assets to either to a spouse or to the next generation and eliminate unrealized capital gains as of date of death. And I wouldn't be surprised if that goes away. It's too, like too wonderful. It's like too good to be true with all the, um, something's got to give in the tax code at some point with all the trillions of dollars that we're spending and, and it has to be paid for at some point. Um, anyway, okay. So we, let's come back a little bit. We were talking about like uh, when it comes to the logistics of gifting and like types of assets. Um, that you may have and how the conversation goes in terms of proceeding along this route of I'm gonna start gifting, what types of assets do I have? What's the best place to take it from? Like if someone has, let's say for example, you wanna start gifting to your kids or you wanna gift a substantial amount to one of your kids, 100,000, 200,000. If you have all retirement assets, like a lot of people just... A lot of people, the, the majority of their portfolio, except for their home, but a, a lot of people, they're, they're a large percentage of their portfolio pie, right? Biggest slices of that pie are usually, are often retirement assets, right? Because you're working, and you're putting money in your 401k and your employer's matching your 401k and you might get profit sharing your 401k. Like you're pumping money into retirement accounts through your working years, it's not quite as common other than inheritances or sales of a piece of real estate, not as common for people to have like really sizable amounts in outside of retirement accounts. So if you wanna pers- you know, proceed with gifting and you have in a substantial amount of your money is retirement accounts, there are some serious, well, depending on the dollar amount we're talking about, there can be some serious tax consequences to consider um, to take large amounts out of your portfolio to gift with, because you can't, you can't um, gift someone other than a charity. You can't gift out of a retirement plan and avoid the taxes associated to do that. The income taxes. Like if you want to give your kid a hundred thousand dollars, even if you've got three million in your four, you know, your retirement account, your rollover four hundred one k, whatever, you, to get to give your kid that hundred thousand or $200,000 you have to take out. Look, well, you ha- you have to take out at least that much, but you're going to have a tax consequence based on your income tax bracket in that year. So that can be sizable for people and and even if someone is normally in the 12% tax bracket, you take 150 grand out of your 401k to gift your kids some money. Guess what? You're not in the 12% tax bracket anymore. You're you you could bump up uh, another tax bracket. And there's there's more beyond that as well in the world of taxation. When someone has like a large swing in their taxable income, I guess it doesn't even have to be large, but, but other things can happen too. Like beyond just bumping up a tax bracket when your income goes up. Um, oh, do we have to... Oh, my back is turned. Do we have to take a break? Oh, my back is turned and I can't even see Tim's cues. I How just, dare you oh, turn your I know, back on I, me? I, the only reason I did it is because there's no... That's the only way for me to plug in my laptop. Like if I swing this way. Tim, I
1: got you. I got you, Tim. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
0: No offense, Tim. I (laughs) couldn't plug in my laptop the other way. I understand.
1: You need a longer cord then.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) We got to take a break because good. I need some more time to talk about taxes after the break and taking money out of retirement accounts. Um, You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, this morning. We're talking about thanks and giving. We're talking about... Um, when is the right time to gift? Am I in a good financial position to gift? Um, We're just taking a break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm right on my cues this morning. Not always the case. Yes, you are. Yes. Uh, We're talking this morning. um, This is our thanks and giving show, Better Late Than Never. Um, talking about uh, this idea of gifting. So, for the people that are fortunate enough to be in comfortable financial situations later in life, um, they may consider uh, helping their adult kids or helping their grandkids or gifting to charity. Um, they might consider, you know, doing some of these things. Um, and what we wanted to focus on today was helping people. Figure out, or you know, just things to think about, and helping people figure out when they might be in a comfortable situation and can start thinking about these things. Um, you know, there are sometimes when people approach me with these ideas, like, "Hey, I wanted to do this. What do you think?" And there are sometimes when I approach clients um, because they're on track to not make a dent or not spend much of their assets. And, and sometimes I bring it up as, Hey, did you know you could do this if you wanted? And, um, and so I think they're, they're worthwhile conversations. And I mean, I guess they, they do happen to generally be fun conversations because I'm having these conversations with people that have done well for themselves financially and, um, and, and are in a position where they likely were, you know, hopefully if you're thinking about this, you're in a position where you have too much or projected to have too much. Um, you never know how long you'll live and all the, that stuff. But um, they're they're kind of fun conversations to have. And, and I don't know, heartwarming too, right? Because there are situations where, you know, people's kids might be struggling financially or, you know, or, or they just want to help them, you know, do certain things or they want to alleviate or help alleviate the burden that is saving for college and, and things like that. So it's kind of heartwarming from like a family perspective and, um, and then there's, there are people that, you know, have very generous, um, plans for gifting to charities. And, and so, so it's, I don't know, it's a nice conversation and it's a nice time of year to talk about it. So thanks for joining us. Um, we were, I, I, I did want to get into some of these specifics regarding like logistics. So when someone gets to the point where they're really thinking about doing this, uh, the conversation changes based on the types of assets that we have. So we started talking about. If, the, if if you want to pursue some gifting, um, easier to do out of non, what we call non-qualified or non-retirement assets, just from a tax perspective, easier to do it in that regard. Um, not as easy to do it when all or the majority of your assets are retirement in nature. So IRA, rollover, 401k, et cetera. <clears throat> because of the income taxes associated with taking money out, especially if you're talking about sizable chunks. Like if you want to give your kid $100,000 to to help with, uh, you know, her first home, which I think a lot of people probably do want to do that these days uh, with real estate being so crazy. Um, It's just, it's hard. It's just harder to ha- It's not that you can't do it. It's just harder to have the conversation because income taxes are, are a, a, a higher hurdle. And I would know because I ran the low hurdles in high school and they weren't as high as the high hurdles, <laughs> which I couldn't get over because I was so short. <laughs> um, are you there, Kirk? I can't hear you. Oh, can no you hear uh,
1: oh. me, I muted myself and then I forgot to turn it back
0: on. Oh, and you also did not run the high
1: hurdles in high school. Uh, no way. I... <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, I do did, did not have a vertical. Please.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So so what? right before the break, I was just was sort of getting into like, it, it, there are some, again, I'm not a tax professional. Please, please, please cooperate not only with your financial advisor, but your tax professional, if you're pursuing or even thinking about this, because there's more from a tax perspective. Well, from a financial planning perspective, absolutely. We talked about a lot of that. But from a tax perspective too, like if you're taking... Um abnormal or you know sizable amounts from a portfolio either ongoing or one time to to make a gift um, beyond just income taxes and you know tax brackets can increase with sizable draws from the portfolio, but beyond that um um, social, you know, social security is taxed at different rates based on your taxable income. I I can't actually remember if it's taxable income or adjusted gross income, but with different levels of income, social security is taxed differently. So some people only have 50% of their social security taxable. Some people have 85% of their social security taxable. So if you're in that only 50% of my social security is taxable range. Your, your income is pretty low at that point anyway. But, but if you take a sizable amount out of retirement account to make a gift, not only are you paying more in income taxes, but you're, you might even be paying more in income taxes because your social security might be more taxable. Um, Also changes in your income can increase the amount you pay for Medicare premiums temporarily, but still can be what, it's like a two year cycle. I believe but, right, and that
1: and that could be and that could be a fairly big yeah. I mean, several several yeah. hundred dollars a month yeah. You know, increase.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I believe they're running a two year cycle on that. So if you bump up your again, I think that one's adjusted gross income. If you bump up, I'm just going to use the word income because I don't know if for for that one, I don't know if they look at taxable or adjusted gross income. But if your income is higher in 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 a given year because, for example, you made a gift, uh, took more money out to make a gift. Not the gift itself, but the taking the money out of a retirement account to increase your taxable in, your 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 income, then yeah, it can affect Medicare premiums, taxation of Social Security, um, your tax bracket, of course, but also, um, but also uh, what we call so investment income, right? So people that have. Um, investment income from non-qualified accounts, your capital gains rate can change when you have higher levels of income. So some people pay, many people pay 15% Um, to the federal government for capital gains taxes, but people that have higher amounts of income pay what's called a Medicare surcharge on top of that, which is another 3.8%. There's also a higher capital gains bracket that's 20% plus there could be that 3.8% Medicare surtax. And that's all based on what is your income. So that's what I mean by like, depending on where you are, sometimes a small change in income can change a lot of these things. But really what's more common is like, Again, you take 100 or 150 grand out and you really change your tax picture in one year. There's just a lot more going on than oh, I'm going to pay like, you know, 30% in taxes on that. There's a, there's more that can be impacted when you when there's a swing like that. So absolutely people should be cooperating or at least asking questions of their tax advisor um, likely before they proceed with this. Like I actually I just had a situation recently where um, I helped someone take a relatively small sum out, but we took it out of retirement for the purposes of gifting, it was relatively small. Um, turns out tax advisor said, you know what, that's not a great idea, better to take it from another place and we had enough time to put the money back in to avoid the taxes. So but that was a that that's not always the case. There's just a sixty day window in order to roll money back into a retirement account to avoid the taxation of it. Um and you can only do that once a year. So so really, really tread lightly there from a tax perspective. And that's where a tax professional can be really helpful. But um, so that's why I kind of meant by like the conversation is harder in this regard when the majority or all of your assets are retirement in nature. Did you have a, did you have a comment?
1: Well, uh, and also that, you know, depending on the size, you know, you might have to file a, you know, a gift tax return, Yeah, you know, your accountant would have to know about that uh, to help you do that. and, you know that's something that can help. You know can affect your you know your lifetime you know mm-hmm. uh, exclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to be aware of that. Depending you know obviously that depends on your overall you know assets. You know whether or not you're gonna. Most people that probably isn't gonna affect them, but um, but some people it will. Yeah. Um, and that's why you know everyone you know should at least run that by their tax advisor to see what they need to do and and also understand the. You know the the implications as far as uh, you know future taxation of their estate um, by by making these gifts today. Yeah. Uh, and also, and gifting to, you know, there's the the generation skipping tax. You know, oh, so like yeah, yeah. Gifting to grandkids. The G S
0: the G S T T.
1: Yeah, there are different you know yeah. there are different rules for that. Um, and so you got to you know you got to be aware of all those different different
0: rules. Yeah. So there, there are some people that pursue gifting in order to shrink their taxable estate, which is like an estate tax planning tool. So in Massachusetts under current law, and I think it's been this way for quite a while, right? That there's a $1 million per person exemption in the state of Massachusetts. In other words, if you die and your estate is worth less than $1 million and you hadn't gifted any substantial amounts in your past, that might change that. Um, then you don't have a taxable estate. But if you have like a million and five dollars as as your taxable estate at death, you have an estate tax problem, granted at that amount, it's a small one. But if you have like one point five million, you, there can be some some substantial taxes uh, to the state of Massachusetts in terms of an estate tax. So some people pursue gifting to reduce Again, likely they're the same people that are in this position where they're financially secure and they can afford to pursue gifting. But some people do it not just not just because for the reasons that we've already talked about, but also because it's an estate tax mitigation tool. But and, to, to yep. your point, you have to be careful about the amounts that you're gifting because gifting over the annual limit of $15,000 per person per year can reduce that million dollar exemption that you have. So that that, that would be, uh, you wouldn't be making any headway there. If you were gifting $16,000 per year per person, you're not making any headway. You're reducing your exemption in the future. Right. Um,
1: and, and and sometimes people do it uh, also to, you know, get money out of their name, you know, for, you know, if they might go into a nursing home at some point yeah. down the road. Uh, and that, but, you know, right now, you know, there's a five-year look back. So, you know, you need to do that. You know, more than five years before you go into a nursing home. So there's, you know, there's planning and 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 lots of thought that has to go into that as well.
0: Yeah, I'm really I'm really glad you brought that up. I did want to touch on that before the end of today's show. That, yeah, if you're like, there are some people that have done um, nursing home planning. We would call it, I guess, where they some some people put their home into an irrevocable trust, or they, you know, put a sizable amount of assets into an irrevocable trust. And if you do that, again, within five years under current law of needing to apply for Medicaid, should you ever need to apply for Medicaid for, for long-term care, um, then that asset is excluded, right? It's not on the books. But if you put your home into an irrevocable trust six years ago, and then you proceeded gifting your kids 15000 per year per person every year in the past six years, that gifting limits your eligibility for Medicaid. So like if you do this this so again cooperate with your estate planning attorney or your elder care uh, attorney on this one because if you've already done some p- nursing home type planning then you're probably not going to be want to wanting to do additional gifting on going after that because it screws up Medicaid eligibility and kind of screws up that whole plan. So so for the people that are, have done or are doing that nursing home planning, that's a totally different discussion. Um, but yeah, thank you for bringing that up because it can, you know, gifting ongoing. It doesn't make you ineligible. It like changes the calculation in terms of when you're eligible, right? Or, or yeah, I, I forget the specifics on that one.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I don't,
1: that's, yeah, that's why, that's why we're that's why we're pointing pointing everyone to your to your uh, estate planning attorney, your, your elder planning attorney. Yeah.
0: Yeah. These are the types of conversations where you need multiple generally should have multiple professionals involved because they're really complicated. And it, and, yeah, And it's
1: always, and it's always I, changing. Too.
0: Yeah, I did. I did want to touch on real estate, like when we were talking about the different slices of the portfolio pie and. Um, if, if real, for many people, real estate is a huge slice of their pie. When it when, you know, if you think about your net worth and how much is the value of your home relative to your net worth, it's usually a pretty substantial percentage, right? Mm-hmm. So there are, I was trying to think about like, along the lines of this nursing home planning, there are many people and i think many situations where it makes sense sometimes where it doesn't but there are many people that would gift their home in the form of to their kids for example in the form of doing an irrevocable trust for this for nursing home planning purposes right and so that's that's it's a little bit of a different type of a gift where it's not like an outright gift where mom or dad could put the home into an irrevocable trust and they can live there for their lifetime, but it's, they don't own it anymore. It's out of their estate. They do that for nursing home planning reasons. And it's basically earmarked for the kids and, and they'll get it. And it, there can be no lean on it if five years, no lean on it from a nursing home if, or from, excuse me, from the state. If someone needs to apply for Medicaid, if again, if you do it within five years uh, of, of needing to apply for Medicaid. So that's like a different type of a gift, but I would still classify that as a gift. You're, you're, you're making plans in advance of your death to give assets, generally speaking, to your family. I don't know anyone that does that, that doesn't, isn't giving it to their family, like to their kids. Um, that, that one is, um, I had a little bit of a, like there, I can think of a situation where I have a client recently where we were talking about this. And that one is, again, it's a different type of a gift where you're not giving an immediate gift. It's like, a, it's sort of a delayed gratification gift, but we're, we're protecting the value of this asset. And we're making sure that um, if mom or dad needs long-term care that, that the state doesn't put a lien on it and, and take away any of the equity of, of that asset. So in some regards, it's an easier conversation because you're not making an outright gift But I actually think it's very, um, I think it's very, I always tell my clients that are thinking about this, like to tread very lightly here. And and along the lines of sort of the conversation we've been having all morning is that if you're gonna proceed in this regard with this sort of non-traditional type of a gift, although I shouldn't say non-traditional because it's pretty common for people to do this. um, If you're gonna proceed in this regard, like let's also, same discussion where let's really make sure that you have more than enough in the way of assets and can afford to do it. I, I think that there are people that do this prematurely, um, because it's an emotional, I think this is a more emotional, um, situation than just traditional gifting. Well, maybe, well, it's very sizable, but also the home, yeah, it's large, yeah. it's large, but it's also like the, people are emotional i think most people are emotionally attached to their home right it's their life it's their where they live it's their home right like i, I think it's a it's more of an emotional conversation and uh topic and i and people i think um there are some times there are situations where i think people could have thought about it a little bit more and maybe not done it so quickly um because, but I, but I, like, you know, this whole, all morning we've been talking about in order, in my opinion anyway, in order to feel comfortable to pursue a gifting strategy, you should be very financially comfortable, right? We should be at the point where we think you are very comfortable that you have more than enough assets, right? Significantly more than enough assets. Right? Those are the people that I'm comfortable saying, yep, yeah, let's do some gifting. Yep, let's large amounts, yep. Or ongoing amounts, yep. Like it should be the people that are very comfortable financially. I think there are, um, and, and I would say same thing, where if you're thinking about um, doing this nursing home planning, where you're taking your house, which is generally a large, por- a large slice of your portfolio pie, it's a large portion of your net worth for many people, Picking that up and taking it, giving it away, again, it's not an immediate gift to the child. It's a, it's a delayed gift, but it's a gift. And um, I, I think that it should be the same situation where someone should be very comfortable that they don't need the equity in that home. Your home is an asset. It's money. It's illiquid, but it has a substantial value, especially right now. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think it's, I don't know, it's like easier for people to... I don't think it should be as easy for people to put these in irrevocable trust. I I, I I don't mean easy, like paperwork easy. I mean, like like I think people do it a little bit prematurely sometimes. and yeah, because yeah, maybe you know. because it's a liquid, maybe because it's not like real money, right? It's not like you see five hundred thousand dollars in your bank account. It's just it's the house, right? It's well,
1: well there's also, I mean, for the people that are, thinking about doing it a, a lot of them are thinking about doing it because they're trying to protect it you know should they go into a nursing home yeah right yeah and but you know but one of the rules is you know you have to do it five years ahead of you know when you go into the nursing home and so that's you know that's a long time and so yeah it's it's like a fine line you know so if you're if you're going to do that if you decide if you talk to your attorney and you decide that's a good plan for you then it's like yeah when do you do it right um you know because and I know attorneys will. I've, I've heard attorneys, you know, tell people don't do it too early. Yeah. And, and then that's, you know, that's a, that's a vague, you know, time frame but, um, <laughs> yeah. you have to do it five years ahead of time. And, yeah. you know, that's a long time to kind of figure out when to do that. Um, but, but the way the rules are written, you know, that's the way it has to be done. And, you know, so you do have to do it, you know, you have to plan ahead and, and, uh, <laughs> but based on a plan that you don't really know the exact time frame So it's, that's tough. That's, yeah. that's a tough tough time tough to figure out when to do that
0: yeah i was just I, i was thinking about this one because i had a recent um client situation where this particular client is um we've sort of been working for a while to get them into a good retirement situation like a good financial situation in retirement and 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 we had to work to get there. And of course they I you know, mean meaning me I, we meaning, yes, of course, I was um, helpful in terms of the advice and stuff, but they had to do the work to get there, right. They had to start paying attention to their expenses. They had to monitor their drop in the portfolio. They you know, had to work a little bit longer than maybe they wanted to. Like they you know, they had to do the work so that we could put together what what we thought was a good, comfortable plan. and we're like just getting there, right? Like things are looking good. And and then they approached me with, "Hey, I'm thinking about this for the house because an attorney had mentioned it to them," and this was just an example of, in, you know, I had to have this conversation with them. Like, I think this could be a good idea for you. Um, it works for many people legally. It 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 works at least under current law. Um, if it's drafted appropriately, right? Like the attorney drafts it properly. Um, but I'm nervous for them because we just got to this point where things are looking comfortable, and I had to throw in there the fact that one of the reasons things are looking pretty comfortable right now for this particular client is that the markets are so strong—not last week, but they're but but they're so strong right now. And I said, can we give it a little bit more time? You know, this is a huge decision. Can we give it a little bit more time? I want a little bit more time to go by and see that, that we can continue to be in that really good financial situation before, you remember I was talking about that buffer. I, I I don't want people to pursue with large gifting or, or something like this. We're putting a home into an irrevocable trust. I don't want my clients doing that unless we've got that buffer, right? Like not only are we in a good situation, but we think we're in a really good situation. And, and I've got enough buffers in there that I'm comfortable that if X, Y, and Z go differently, um, for a long period of time, then then we have enough buffer in there where I'm still comfortable. So that was just, I'm glad you brought that up about about um, about nursing home planning because that's absolutely a, a huge part of this. Where where peop, where sometimes parents aren't gifting in that traditional sense, like money every year or a large gift, but it's I'm positioning assets for them for the future. I'm not going to touch them. Um, but if we're doing that, let's make absolutely sure that we don't need to touch them later. And so that—that's so tread lightly with that with that stuff, which I guess was the whole point of like of today's show. You know, thanks and giving. When are you in a position to start gifting if you want to to your kids uh, during your lifetime? And the whole basis of that conversation is when we feel that we can very comfortably afford it. When when you feel like you're at the point where. I can do this. And even if markets, even if we have a three to five year bear market, and even if inflation's higher than normal and that, you know, X, Y, Z, we've got enough buffers built into that plan that, that you're gonna be okay, e- even if you do this. So, you know, I, with this type of thing, I'm not the most conservative advisor in the world. Like I have plenty of clients that are invested aggressively and all that stuff. But with this type of thing, I tend to be pretty conservative as we, as we tread uh, down this path. Because like I said before, this is a stage in life or you're not as resilient as you are in your working years, right? Those working professionals, markets go down for three to five years, inflation 6%, you keep working. I know sometimes that's not as easy, right? I, I understand layoffs and things like that, of course, and it's not that easy. But, but generally speaking, you're way more resilient in your younger years financially and physically <laughs> than, than when you're 75, right? And, and, and there's, you don't have as much to fall back on. Your assets are what they are. It is what it is. It's, it's nobody else is right. Helping you out. You can help yourself. So tend to be a little bit conservative with these discussions. <laughs>
1: then again, <sighs> then again, uh, then again, our parents are both in their seventies and they're still working.
0: I know not, well, not arguably not necessarily because they have to though, I know. but a lot of people want to work because they want to work. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but that's a good point. Actually, there, there are a lot of people older in life that could be resilient because they have earnings capabilities. I just did yeah. that
1: in case of 70, 75 listing and being like, hey, I'm still working. I'm yeah. Still, I'm, still, I'm still able. I can do all these things, yeah.
0: No, it was nothing about abilities, but more uh-huh. of like, yeah, personal preferences. Yeah, plenty of people working later. Like the people that, you know, have, um, you know, consulting abilities and, you know, still have their toes dipped in a business. Um, of course, those people are, they're more resilient financially because they're, something goes wrong. They have earnings abilities, but really it comes down to earnings abilities. And I can't even tell you how many conversations I've had the last several years with with clients that are aging and they could be fifties or sixties or sometimes older, but ageism is a thing when it comes to employment. It absolutely is. And you, I don't know if there's anything we can do about that. And, you know, that, that, that's what I mean by resiliency. Like, as you age, it's not, it's, you know, 75-year-old clients might, you know, someone might be perfectly you know, just as capable, if not more so than a 40-year-old professional, but there are just certain occupations where, where ageism comes into play, like, and in, in hiring is, is, you know, and, and becoming employed at an older age in certain occupations is just not as easy. And that stinks because we're all getting older. <laughs> um, thank you, Tim. He just had to run in and give me the two minute um, because of my back is still quite rudely turned.
1: It's to just a his, brisk walk. It's to fine. Him.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, I th- I hope that was helpful. That I, I I know we're past Thanksgiving here, but I did wanted to do our I did want to do our Thanksgiving show. I I like doing this one. I think it's warm and fuzzy. And I don't I'm not always super warm and fuzzy, I guess, in my line of work just because I don't know, I tend to just tell it like it is and and I'm not doing any clients any favors by sugarcoating things. But um did this you, is a nice warm fuzzy thing.
1: Did you mention RMDs? Did you mention RMDs?
0: Oh, uh, no, I didn't get into that. RMDs to just, to yeah, just, charities. Just to know, yeah.
1: Just real, quick, just real quick last thing, you know, some people that have to take a required minimum distribution from their IRAs or 401Ks You know, they are taxable as income, but there are some people that don't need them. And so you do have the option of donating all or a portion of your required minimum distribution to a charity. And by doing that, you don't have to pay any of the taxes on the income. Work with your
0: CPA on that. That's a good point. Work with your CPA. I believe the check needs to go direct to the charity in order for that to avoid the taxation on that. But yes... And you can do partial as well. It doesn't have to be the full RMD, but there are limits on it, but the limits are high. Talk to your CPA. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. That was my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I hope that was inspiring. Thanks and giving. When can you afford to gift? Should you desire? Nobody needs to do that personal preference. Hope that was helpful. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.